Welcome to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, with your host, Alan Weiner. Over the next hour, you'll explore the innovative and ever-evolving solutions in everyone's favorite topic, food. Now, here's your host, Alan. Greetings, everybody, from the Sunshine State. My name is Alan Weiner, and I'm your host for Food Forward, Nourishing the World, here on Voice America. Each week, we will explore the innovations and trends shaping the future of food. From sustainability to technology, we'll uncover the flavors of tomorrow. Plainly speaking, we will discuss all things food, some crucial to our well-being and some just for fun. We're continuing our exploration of alternative proteins, the game changers in sustainable eating. These aren't just buzzwords. They're the building blocks of a food revelation revolution, and who better to guide us through the culinary landscape than the innovators themselves. Joining us today are three pioneers in the field of alternative proteins. Amos Galan from Chunk Foods in Israel, who's redefining meat alternatives one chunk at a time. Oliver Zahn of the Bay Area of Climax Foods, a company that's using AI and data science to craft the perfect plant-based cheese. And also from the Bay Area, Kimberly Lee from Prime Roots, who's turning fungi into a culinary masterpiece. So grab your forks and open your minds because we're about to dig into the meat of the matter. Well, without the meat, of course. But before we move on, if you miss an episode of Food Forward Nourishing the World, it will be available after airing on my Voice America show page and through all leading podcast platforms. Think of it as radio on demand. The audience is crucial to the future of food. I want to hear from you. You can email me at Allen, A-L-L-E-N, at foodforwardradio.com and or follow the show on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And within the next few days, our website, www.foodforwardradio.com. Let's welcome our next guest who is at the forefront of the sustainable food movement. Join us as we introduce the innovative mind behind Chunk Foods, Amos Golan. Amos is a true trailblazer in the world of alternative protein, and he's here to share his journey and insights that are reshaping the way we think about nourishment. Amos, welcome to Food Forward. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. So um, I, I think it's your background that really intrigues us in terms of um, how you got involved. I read that you started the company while you were at MIT. What was the inspiration for that? And what were your initial goals? Yeah, so I uh, moved to the U.S. in 2016. Summer of 2016 was quite a pivotal moment for plant-based uh, with Beyond launching at Whole Foods and Impossible uh, collaborating with Momofuku and plant-based was really happening uh, back then. I moved to Boston uh, to uh, pursue a master's at uh, the MIT PDLM and got really excited about these uh, new products that I started seeing everywhere. Um, and then, you know, Fast forward a couple of years, I uh, worked in the food industry. I joined Ferrero, the chocolate company, that we, uh, and, and uh, got really excited about food production and innovating around food. 
and uh, you know wanted to to uh, explore some of that and uh, and some of the ideas I had around the the um, alternative meat uh, market and uh, decided to start the company and focus on creating clean label whole cuts uh, of beef. So let's get into chunk foods. Um, tell us a little bit about it, um, how it started, and what exactly the product that Chunk Foods um, produces right now. So uh, Chunk is focused on creating a clean label alternatives to whole muscle cuts. Um, what we do is we use a, a novel fermentation process that we've created uh, that uses plant-based ingredients and takes inspiration from from uh, fermented foods that are uh, eaten you know, every day, like cheese and sausage and bread, and combines these two technologies to create uh, products that really have the texture and the mouthfeel of of whole cuts. Um, so yeah, this is this is this is what we do, and this is what we focus on. Um, from the very beginning, it was clear that one of the challenges with uh, whole cuts. And the reason we don't see many of them in the market is is scaling up uh, the production and and really replicating the sensory attributes of whole cuts like juiciness and the mouthfeel and and those the, the fibrous nature. Um, and we've been we're one of the first uh, to really be able to make these at a very large scale. Uh, we've just opened our uh, our uh, first uh, factory and. Uh, and um, and yeah, we're really excited about uh, launching in the U.S. and uh, selling this into food services, food service businesses in the U.S. and elsewhere. Definitely. Now, I, I talked to a lot of companies in this space, and some, you know, started their products by taking uh, existing research and existing um, products and their techniques and use that as a basis and built their own business. Others start from scratch. They say, I don't want to take advantage of any research that's been done, any work that's been done. We're going to invent the wheel. What was your approach? Was it one or the other or a little bit of both? I'd say it's a little bit of both. I think, uh, you know, any any good research or any good product has its uh, foundations in a lot of hard work that other people have done. Uh, so we definitely took inspiration from what other people have done. We've took, we took inspiration from other foods in the food system. So people have been manufacturing food for, for uh, millennia, right? So, and then had to uh, deal with uh, cost and with supplies and with supply chains and so on. So we took inspiration from all of these uh, but we definitely innovated a lot on on the uh, the actual process. You know, when we started, a lot of people said solid state fermentation is something that cannot be used uh, to make large scale uh, um, food products. And we were very clear from the beginning uh, when we when we looked at you know we just looked at the food system and we said most of the fermented foods in, in our food system are actually solid state fermented. So we took the inspiration from that. We took took a lot of uh, we were convinced that we can get to the to the right uh, price point, and we did. So we're now at scale and the right price point to sell these products at scale and uh, with a with a good uh, uh, good margin. Now, there's a couple buzzwords that are floating around that come into play when I think of companies who are creating alternative protein. One is clean label, and the other is third generation of plant based products, which does that infer that the first two generations didn't work? So how do you look at those two two elements and how has Chunk Foods taken advantage of clean label and where does it fit in terms of generations of plant-based products? 
Absolutely. Being labeled, I think it's a, it's a little bit of an elusive uh, term. Uh, what it means is it means different things to different brands and different people, but essentially it means recognizable ingredients, short ingredient lists, uh, no use of unnecessary ingredients in the product like binders and, and preservatives. And, and, and long story short, it means a label with ingredients that you could find in your, uh, in your kitchen or in your, uh, in my case, you know, or in, in my kid's case, uh, in, in our grandparents' uh, cupboard, something that our grandparents have eaten as well. Um, so, so this is what, this is how I perceive clean label. Uh, on, 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 and, and the other term that you've used, the third generation of plant-based uh, products, this really refers to the, the, the previous versions of plant-based products or veggie products uh, that were sold uh, around the globe. The first generation is, is what we all know as you know, the, the veggie burger or the bean burger, a product that doesn't really try to resemble a meat product, but has some of the texture or some of the appearance of a meat product. Second generation would be uh, burgers uh, made by, or nuggets made by companies like Beyond and Impossible. Most of these products are, resemble a processed meat product, but they do also have strong resemblance, resemblance to the flavor and texture of these animal-based products. So they're very hard to distinguish between the meat-based and the plant-based product. Uh, no. Third generation, sorry. No, go ahead. The third generation would be products that ha have much stronger resemblance to the animal-based product, and it also are um, closer in terms of texture to whole cut, so they have the uh, fat striation, they have the, the, the te texture and the directionality of the fibers, they have a, um, a more fatty mouthfeel, and many of them also have a cleaner label. They don't necessarily use things like methicillos and other binders and and uh, and and, and um, other binders and fibers and bamboo fiber and so on that were previously in the second uh, uh, second generation of plant-based products were used to create texture. These products have different texture that is created by through by using unique technologies like fermentation, biomass fermentation, extrusion, and so on. Now that's that's an interesting perspective. So the first two generations of products, and it's probably more the second, um, because there are a lot of legacy bean burgers that have been around probably since the 60s. But when we look at that second generation of products, a lot of those companies have actually gone out of business. They've either faced issues with investment capital, producing at scale, which I think is number one, and distribution. Chunk Foods has avoided those, those hurdles. How, how have you done that? So, yeah, I mean, to be very humble, we're still quite young, but we've been there. So far, we've been able to avoid that and to expand. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we, we've done a few things. One is uh, we're very fortunate to be well-funded and we have very strong uh, investors who show very strong trust in, in what we're doing and in our offering that's unique. I think what, was, uh, what has been a challenge for the second generation of plant-based products was that differentiation was hard to achieve. Uh, these products were not very hard. There wasn't a really deep moat there uh, in terms of technology, and it was very easy for uh, for uh, new players to try and, and, and create pro look-alike products. So this is something that we, you know, just by virtue of having a very te like technically deep and profound product uh, and having strong backing from our very strong investors, uh, we've been able to avoid. Um, 
And we so another thing is really we're seeing ex expansion. So our products, we you know, we recently launched with uh, Charlie's Steakhouse, and there's a bunch of other steakhouse and meat forward uh, establishments that we're planning to launch and announce in the in, in the coming uh, months. Uh, what we've seen is that product like ours, unlike the second generation of plant based, really expand the total addressable market for plant based foods. So if you know if the plant based industry, plant based meat industry has been Rather stagnant in the U.S. at around 1.5, 1.4 billion dollars in sales annually. Uh, we're now seeing restaurants and restaurant groups that never thought of adding plant-based products to their menus, uh, you know, approaching us and doing so, and are they're they're excited about the the uh, opportunity to do that. And we're really one of the very few players who who can do that and can cater to these to these new markets. You know, the steakhouse steakhouses in the U.S. sell over 14 billion dollars worth of steaks. Uh, this is a market that was never even, you know, slightly approached by plant-based uh, players. So this is another thing that really differentiates us and allows us to to really, um, you know, not be eroded by 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 the challenges that some other brands are uh, are uh, suffering. And when when it comes to distribution, uh, we've been very very focused. I think one of the challenges that that other brands or some other brands have experienced, including some of the big players, was you know they were running to get as, as much market as they could. They expanded too, too broadly to other continents and countries. They've uh, launched in multiple channels simultaneously. We are very, very focused. We're laser focused on food service. We believe that this is the strongest market in the, at the moment in the US and where we can really give customers, uh, specifically early adopters, but also the later adopters that are the ones that we were hoping to kind of capture and make sure that they, they start buying plant-based foods. Uh, food service is really where we can give them the best experience uh, and we can, where we can give the best value for money because people are, will, are willing to pay a little more in food service uh, so that uh, the cost of product does not uh, prevent them from, from, from taking that first bite, from trying yeah. the product for the first time. So really, these are, these are the things that I think put us apart and have allowed us to, to grow and hopefully will help us continue growing in the future. So the, the question I would ask, and I know that as we wrap up, the customers who are listening to this and want to try your product, how do I find out which restaurants, steakhouses are carrying your product? So, um, you know, I think probably the best way would be to follow us on social media, on Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, we announce every new partnership that uh, we, we get into. Um, some of our partners do so as, as, as well. Uh, we have a bunch of new, uh, new locations opening up in the next couple of weeks in L.A., uh, including Butcher's Daughter and Buena Planta and others. Uh, we have a bunch of locations opening up or have, uh, that have already opened up in uh, Florida, in Tampa, and in Orlando, so Charlie Steakhouse and a few others. And uh, in New York, we're working very closely with uh, the City, City Roots uh, Group uh, in New York, which is the largest vegan operation in New York, and uh, many more uh, locations. So uh, your best bet would probably be to follow us on Instagram and to learn about all the new uh, launches. Amos, I really appreciate your time. We've been speaking with Amos Golan, who is CEO of Chunk Foods, truly an inspirational company. Uh, I look forward to having you back, Amos, so that we could talk more about where Chunk Foods is headed and some of the new companies or new restaurants that will be carrying your product. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Alex.
From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. We're excited about our next guest. He's on the forefront of the culinary revolution. Oliver Zahn, the CEO of Climax Foods, uh, among other things in his storied career, is leading the way in transforming our food system through the use of cutting-edge science and innovation, particularly with the use of AI, artificial intelligence. With a mission to create sustainable and delicious alternatives to traditional animal products, most notably cheese, Climax Food is redefining what's possible in the kitchen. Oliver's passion for sustainability is redefining what's possible to make a healthier planet and make him a visionary in the field. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to Oliver Zahn. So Oliver, um, cheese. Uh, I've talked to many, many companies in this space who are focused on cheese most of them are using something that we talked about in a previous episode called precision fermentation. In your case, you used artificial intelligence. So without giving away um, any trade secrets, I know that you work with a company called Benchling, I believe. So tell us why you chose that route as opposed to some of the routes that other companies are taking. Yeah, um, it's great to, to be on your podcast, Alan. Uh, super, super excited for having the opportunity to speak here. Um, so yeah, we, we we also call this approach precision formulation. And just to be clear, Benchling is just sort of a data warehousing software tool that we use among many other tools. There was a press release about it um, by, by Benchling. And we're excited to work with them, but it's really um, it's just sort of one of the of the many um, sort of data data engineering uh, tools we we use. Um, the software uh, we build and the data sets we collect, um, you know, are all sort of proprietary in house to Climax Foods. And I think this is sort of where a lot of our um, 
uh, uniqueness starts is that we have a lot of data that don't exist in the public sphere about not just plants, but also animal products, right? Because if you want to replace an animal product, the only way to do that is to understand the animal product really well. And there's never really been a reason in history to understand why animal products taste so delicious before we started, right? Or, or before people became aware that animal agriculture is one of the leading contributors to climate change, deforestation, uh, you know, human health issues and environment, other environmental issues. Um, you know, and also, by the way, um, more than half of all pandemics um, that jumped over to humans came from animals that we consumed um, because right the they can harbor diseases that plants cannot harbor like plant diseases typically are not dangerous for humans um, because they're so far disconnected from us on the evolutionary tree so yeah so we use this very we use this this, this process of essentially identifying building blocks and best ways to use them in the plant kingdom why is that important well because humans have used animals to convert and process plants in an extremely wasteful way for 6,000 years. That was a genius idea 6,000 years ago when there were literally 10 million humans on earth. Like, you know, like think about that for a second, 10 million humans on earth, right? That is a thousand times fewer humans than there are today. Uh, at that time, using animals um, to, to, to take plants uh, and essentially Know, as factories and convert them to to uh, stuff we can eat was a great idea. Um, uh, you know, even if there's a ninety percent, ninety five percent loss of plant material because animals, um, you know, are not made to make food for other animals. And I'll talk talk about that a little bit more in a minute. You know, you know that that was a totally acceptable process. Like having such a lossy operation, having such an inefficient, you know, means of processing the plant materials makes perfect sense if there's such an overabundance, right, of materials on earth, and you don't, you know, you have literally a thousand times fewer humans. But today, this technology, which, interestingly, is actually the oldest technology on earth that hasn't been replaced, um, you know, um, you know, that, that made a lot of sense. And even something as, you know, unnatural as using the milk from another mammal, which no other animal does, made a lot of sense and was kind of a cool idea. I grew up in Bavaria, where you know, all, all of our civilization there, uh, all the culture was built on animal agriculture. And, and you know, I have a huge appreciation for it as in sort of antiquated historical way we nourished ourselves. It, it was amazing. But one of the things that makes humans unique is that we are not just stuck in the past. We continuously question our ways and innovate and become better at doing certain things and food, especially. We've always worked on, you know, even from generation to generation, and this is, you know, lots of generations uh, from the advent of animal agriculture. We've worked on making foods that taste better, that are more nutritious, that are safer to eat, and that are simpler and therefore cheaper to produce. So what we're doing at Climax is just a continuation of that. And why data science, why this process of AI and precision formulation? It's because, you know, more than 99% of all edible, you know, biomass on Earth is in plants. And more than 90% of all functional biodiversity is in plants. And plants is ultimately where animals derive their nutrition from, um, you know, which is why it kind of makes sense to ask, is there a better way than using an animal 
to process these plants, like less processing, less waste, less risk for humans. And just one little side note there is, and before I get to the AI part is, it's really important to remember, we and other animals have not evolved to become food for other animals, right? Like we've evolved to, to, to do exactly the opposite, to not become food for other animals. So as a result, most of the food we eat goes to keeping us alive and doing all sorts of protective functions and procreating and all kinds of things that do not go to, you know, that, that, that do not go towards us becoming food for other animals. So like, it's just intrinsically, evolutionarily, not the way you want to process plants. It is extremely complex. And, and you know, people always have this romantic notion, oh, animals is like simple food. No, it is literally the most complicated process you could imagine for turning plants into meat and dairy. And so the question became, well, can we do it in a more direct way from plants directly? But then you, 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 you face the truth that there is an infinite number of ways to combine the tens of thousands of plants we could use for food into milk and uh, and meat products and eggs. And because it is such a large problem, what we call in statistics, right? I have a background in astrophysics and statistics. Uh, we call this a combinatorial explosion. There's just too many ways to take plant ingredients and try to turn them into something that will taste more and more similarly to meat and dairy products and eggs. And so as a result, no company has ever even tried to give this a serious try because like, where do you start? It's too many things to try. You could literally, and we've done the math for fun, you could combine all the big food science labs on earth and try all these combinations and you would not be done in a trillion years. <laughs> the problem is we don't have a trillion years. We literally have to replace animals in the food system in you know a decade at most because the, the environmental and human health risks are just too great you know the next COVID could come you know from from animals the environmental diversity like more than 80 percent of all the usable land surface area on earth is used right now to feed animals which produce less than 20 percent of the calories it is outdated it makes no sense it is unsustainable it is it is you know unfortunately as good as it tastes it's not doable uh, it, you know it, it it cannot continue so we don't have a trillion years to experiment so that's why we need to augment humans ability to try to formulate uh, meat and dairy replacements with machine intelligence and this is how we got started the the notion was well there has to be a way because if there's no way we're pretty much screwed a lot of the other technologies like precision fermentation and cultured meat while they're very intriguing you know for me as a scientist and i really hope they succeed right now are an order of magnitude or two orders of magnitude or three orders of magnitude more expensive and environmentally destructive than the animals. So, you know, I really hope they can figure it out very, very soon. But in the meantime, we should explore the other obvious alternative, which is to mine the plant kingdom very exhaustive, exhaustively for the best building blocks and best methods, you know, you know, like in, in our kitchen, right? We, we process ingredients we put them in a blender we cook them we ferment them so what what is the best sort of combination of ways to treat the the plant material the natural plant material to turn it into something that tastes like meat and dairy and let me let it. me jump in here for let me jump in for a quick second so i i understand using um artificial intelligence to basically identify 
um, the substrate or the plant or combination of plants. But there are other ingredients that go into um, formulating a cheese product. Where do you get that information from? Also from artificial intelligence, the the additives, if you will, not capital A additives, small A additives, the formula, the recipe. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that is that's a, that's a great question. That is exactly that's that's sort of one of the, the distinguishing uh, criteria of Climax Foods uh, compared to other companies that that you know have sort of tried to use data scientific techniques in the past. It's not just picking the right raw ingredients, because ideally you actually don't want to find some exotic plant that goes somewhere in the Amazon or somewhere else and then have to scale the production of that plant, even though that would also be feasible. Ideally, you would just leverage one of the sort of hundred most wi most widely grown plants on Earth already today and just tweak the plant in as simple a way as possible into behaving more like an animal protein or animal lipid or animal flavor. So yeah, so the the, the process optimization, making it cleaner, making it uh, more sustainable, making it uh, cheaper, um, and making it more effective in producing uh, a, a, a functional ingredient that, that can be turned into a milk that can then ferment and age like a cheese. That is exactly one of the things that where data science helps us. It's not just, yeah. So, so, so yeah, so we, we have a very product centric approach. So we basically, to answer your question more directly, we, we make lots of, you know, in the example of cheeses, which is the product category we initially launching with, um, you know, we make lots of cheeses and then we collect lots of data and we compare those plant cheeses to animal cheeses we also make and collect lots of data on. And then we try to find parallels and divergence. We, we try to find ways where they're different and where they're similar and where we have to tweak the knobs of the formulation to make it more similar. Are you able to take the information that you get, say, for example, when you created Climax Blue, uh, is that data reusable to create another type of cheese, be it cheddar or mozzarella, or is each individual cheese something you have to start over with? Yeah, no, yeah, that's a brilliant question. Again, absolutely. It is absolutely, we learn from every prototype we make, we learn about every other prototype, not just in cheese, you know, there's actually similarities um, between cheese and, and other product categories. Cheese is just happens to be the most important category within dairy. And it's our sort of first um, milestone in tackling dairy overall. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's transferable learnings from from one cheese category to another. And also, we're we're hoping to converge, uh, you know, and in some ways are very close to a dairy foundation that can be turned in to into any cheese in exactly the same way, um, you know, as milk can be turned into any cheese, right? Any dairy cheese starts from milk, right. exactly the same ingredient, and and so it, it we're already kind of close to that, and that the different prototypes we have and that that we're launching with in in the near future. Um, rely basically on the same milky substrate. And then we use traditional dairy cheese making microorganisms. You know, you touched on a good point there, hinted at a good point, which is, you know, cheese, one of the reasons we found it so fascinating as data scientists is because it's the, the hardest category to recreate. It's almost like, you know, it's kind of like the Tesla, you know, they started with like a sports car. It's like, if you can talk, if you can make a really convincing sports car, chances are you have the technology to make to make other other types of vehicles. And so we see these artisanal cheeses in the same vein. You know, you have plant material interacting with bacteria, with fungi, with yeasts over long periods of time. It is so messy and beautifully complex. If we can tackle that, 
we have, you know, what it takes. And yeah, like the cheeses are made actually our manufacturing facility in Petaluma, you know, out of all places we're producing in the sort of artisanal dairy mecca of California. Um, you know, the, the, the cheese making facility actually looks like a traditional dairy cheese making facility. And the technology is readily, you know, sort of plug and play scalable to, 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 to dairy cheese making facilities all across the globe, which is why we have a big French cheese company partnering with us. Uh, and this is the exciting part, right? Also from the scalability, you know, if I, you know, put on my, if I pretend to be an investor for a second, like that is what makes it so exciting. We don't even need to build massive dairy processing facilities because they already exist all over the globe. We just need to make a milk replacement. So let me ask you this. Um, you just hit the point that I wanted to get to, and that is, you know, market penetration and distribution. Yes, it's a difficult product to create, but it's also one that if you go into any relatively higher end supermarket, Whole Foods, Sprouts, there's a pretty good array of cheese. Mm -hmm. um, how do you break through the noise or is your route to go to food service companies and restaurants and then hit the consumer market? Yeah. So, yeah. So our route is to start with, uh, with, with restaurants. We're starting with pretty fancy restaurants in the beginning. Um, you know, a couple of exciting things. So again, to just to reiterate the, the milky, the, the the milk we produce can be turned into any cheese. So it could theoretically address the entire you know dairy cheese market. Our products have caused a lot of excitement in the world because I think people did not believe anymore that zero compromise products, you know, plant-based products could be created. They sort of, you know, have long ingredient statements. They have, uh, you know, they sometimes don't taste exactly the same. They're sometimes expensive. So the fact that we could launch with a product, not just any product, but literally the most sophisticated, complex product on earth uh, and product category on earth. And it is so convincing that people cannot tell the difference from a dairy cheese. Like French cheesemakers, you know, rank our cheese as in the top 20% of all dairy cheeses they've ever tasted, right? And the fact that we can make it at price parity with dairy at launch, which means at scale, we will make it dramatically cheaper than dairy. People just didn't think that that was possible. It's again, like I, you know, I don't want to borrow too many analogies from Tesla, even though I worked with the founder for a while. You know, people didn't think that you could make, you know, people thought electric cars would be golf carts and would suck. And now people are like, well, actually, they're the most performant, fun to drive safe cars on earth. So, you know, we'll, we'll go through a similar sort of reckoning and, and renaissance moment in the next couple of years. And it's already started with the launch of our cheeses where people are like, what the fuck? Sorry, excuse my French. No, like, okay. how is this possible? They can't believe it. Um, I can't believe it, but we've run out of time. And there were two things I wanted to touch on. So um, I'd like to put a pin in the conversation, one of which was I'm, I'm very curious about um, your ability to use less water because I thought that's fascinating. And I also believe you might have on a totally different area, some interesting things to say about food in outer space, given your background. So let's let's uh, <laughs> pick pick that up next time. Um, Oliver, okay. thanks so much for your insights. I, I It was a pleasure having you on and I look forward to having you back. Thanks, Alan, excellent questions. Thank you, have a good day. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, 
a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. Today, we're diving into the innovative world of plant-based meats with a very special guest. Joining us is Kimberly Lee, the CEO of Prime Roots, a Bay Area company at the forefront of creating delectable and sustainable plant-based alternatives in the deli world. Move over Katz's Deli. Under Kim's leadership, Prime Roots is challenging traditional meat consumption and reshaping our food landscape. Let's dive into the journey of Prime Roots and discover the future of plant-based cuisine. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. Oh, definitely our pleasure. So um, tell us a little first about Prime Roots, what it is, and uh, a little bit about how it's made in, in kind of a general sense without getting too technical. So at Prime Roots, we pride ourselves in really making plant-based deli classics, as you mentioned, that taste great um, and are from Koji. Um, and what that enables us to do is we're really first of, first in our category to be able to have a product that slices identically to the meats that you know I grew up loving, um, and most of us did, because sandwiches are the most consumed food in America, um, and most people grew up with the deli sandwich getting packed in their lunches every day. Um, and so imagine going into a deli counter, you know, behind the glass, you have all of your deli meats and you can pick between, you know, black forest ham or maple ham um, and turkey or salami. Um, we have the exact same experience, but everything is plant-based and made from koji. What I thought was really cool is, and I, I've seen this in, in chocolate and plant-based cheese, is that the traditional process of making meat is not abandoned. It's the part up to the actual processing. How did you come up with that? So the company was started um, in UC Berkeley at the Alternative Meat Lab. And this was six years ago, so in 2017. Really thinking about the problem, um, which is that animal agriculture, the way we make meat today, 
days, really outdated. Um, you know, why are we feeding a cow 40 calories just to get one calorie of beef? Um, and I did some back of the envelope math. And I learned that it will take about eight planet Earths to be able to sustain our love as a society for meat. Um, and so I knew there was a better way. And so my mom's a chef. Um, I love, you know, great tasting food, as most of us do. And so taste for us is always first. Um, and really being able to also make a product that if you flip back on the label, you read it, you know, you can actually read all the ingredients. It's not a huge long list and it's not full of chemicals. Um, and so really all of those things kind of led to the genesis of Prime Roots, which is really evaluating like the protein sources that we eat. So, you know, if you look at the really the dominant approaches today in plant-based, it's processed soy, processed pea or gluten. Um, and I knew there was a better way. And so we use koji, as we briefly mentioned. Um, and it is a Japanese fungi. It's found in miso and soy sauce. Um, and what it does in these traditional fermentation processes is that um, it provides that really umami rich taste that we love um, in miso and soy sauce, but meat also has the same umami compounds. And so um, we took inspiration there and also found that koji microscopically has the identical texture of meat. And so if you think about how do we just cultivate the koji for all of its textural components, as well as the umami richness, um, you can actually do that with a more updated fermentation process that makes more of like a pure uh, koji culture rather than, um, you know, koji on top of soy. It's just using the soy um, to make miso really for nutrients and converting it. So that's kind of like the high level process of how it's made. And then downstream, like you said, which is in how do we actually make the meats? Um, we literally make meats. So we actually had to learn like the artisanal make, meat making techniques, like how does meat get its flavor? Um, so, you know, whether it be steaming or roasting or smoking it, um, we do all the same things that a uh, traditional deli meat company does. Mm. So that hence gives us the same experience that we all grew up with. Right. Um, I've heard countless interviews with you and everybody asks you a lot of questions and I'm determined to ask you ones that nobody else has asked. So I know your mom was a chef. So growing up, what did you learn from her that you have taken to prime roots? A lot. So. Um, my mom used koji and a lot of other, you know, fermentation um, techniques and organisms growing up. And so we made a ton of uh, fermented foods. Um, and it's one of those things where you connect the dots looking back. And so koji has been part of like my culinary journey and toolkit since I was probably like three or four years old. Um, obviously, we do things very differently with koji today at Prime Roots but it's really inspired from those days in the kitchen um, and really the foods that like I grew up loving and eating. Like some of my fondest food memories are like going to Safeway and getting sliced meats at the deli. Mm, interesting. So I think the prime roots falls into a, a newer generation of plant-based meat products. I, my take is there's been two generations so far. The first one you know, being from a long time ago when people who were looking for pure health would make their own bean burgers or go to restaurants that have bean burgers. Then we saw the evolution of the first generation of plant-based meats and possible um, quorum and some others. 
And I think that you would fall into a newer category of companies that are looking to create products with a clean label and that have as little, if any, um, processing in them. A lot of those companies that have fallen you know, by the wayside have not been able to do it because of scale, inability to scale and to find the right distribution. So when it comes to those hurdles, how have you gotten over them? So for us, we think a lot about, you know, how to most thoughtfully tackle the problem at hand and do it like really um, in stages. And so, you know, we started Primeroot six years ago, really focused on the core of like, can we actually make a cleaner product that has less processed ingredients? It's something we'd be proud to, um, you know, serve on our kitchen tables at home. Um, and so, you know, that was really the beginning. Um, and, and everything comes back to like having a really phenomenal product that just checks all of the boxes. There's no compromises for whether it be a chef or um, a mom. And, and then I think also is we're really, really mission driven as an organization. And so being able to find mission aligned partners um, along the way has been really critical to our success. And it's not we're not just creating a product. We really want to create a movement uh, and be able to empower eaters of all different types, vegans, vegetarians, flexitarians, meat eaters, um, to embrace you know a new type of protein, but in a way that we're all very familiar with or most people are familiar with mm-hmm. um, and having that same experience. And so um, for us, it's a meat that slices identically to the meats that um, a lot of us grew up eating. Let's get to the question that I think is most interesting, and that is your distribution philosophy. Now, I know from our previous conversation, um, you work with delis directly, and you have them kind of slicing meat as if people were coming and ordering um, any other product in a delicatessen. Now, I think that there's positives in using this kind of third-party approach, but how do you get feedback um, from, you know, when you have third parties and you have a deli in New York City that's, you know, selling your meat, how do you kind of stay in touch with them so that you know customer reaction? Yeah, it's a great question. I think our ability and our partnership, close partnerships with these deli partners that we have um, and having a person there to answer any questions about the product, to um, hand out a free slice or sample if anyone's curious, actually gives us more ability to understand like what people think about the products and what they would love to see. Because um, we have really close relationships and we really view our delis as partners. Um, and so we can get that feedback, I think, a lot easier than any product that sits on a shelf and, you know, a consumer can pick it up, go home, don't interact with anyone. Um, so I think we actually have a leg up um, with our strategy than I think a lot of conventional kind of food retail strategies. Um, and we're always like really, really open to feedback and thinking about, you know, what's coming up next. Um, and, you know, really focusing on those deli classics that we love. Mm. So I noticed if you look at a map to where you can um, purchase Prime Roots um, deli slices, um, it's obviously concentrated in California and in, um, I guess, the New York area. 
Do you have two separate distribution facilities or do you just have one um, place that, you know, um, works with all the different companies? So today we are distributed in New York City and um, the Bay Area, as you mentioned. Um, everything comes from our facility in Berkeley. So we produce everything in Northern California today. So do you ship it by air or do you use um, trucks that are you know cooled? How, how do you get it there? Yeah, so it just has to maintain a cold chain. So we typically uh, don't do air. Um, but yeah, I mean, just standard food shipping. Um, so given we talked about feedback from, from, you know, the people that are purchasing this, what is it that people like the most? Is it taste, texture, uh, look and feel? What, what is it that people that really stands out to them? Pop out answers, everything, but it really is taste. Okay. <laughs> people That's love the taste products. That's fair. So what other products? I mean, I, I always notice when companies um, are very non-specific in their product name, like Prime Roots, you're not attached to just meat. So what other plant-based foods would you say would be on the horizon for Prime Roots? So I think expect all things deli and sandwiches. Um, it's a really huge category and there's a ton of products that we haven't ventured into yet, even within the deli. So mm -hmm. that's definitely what's next for us. Okay. Um, what about distribution beyond um, delicatessens? Do you see a point in the near future where I'll be able to purchase this at, you know, my local uh, grocery store or Sprouts or Whole Foods? Anywhere there is a deli case where you can actually walk up to a counter and get a sandwich or get meat sliced, um, that's where we'll be. So, you know, we, we think that, you know, that fresh slice element, having that ability to get a fresh um, plant-based product is so unique. Um, and it does make it taste a lot better, in my opinion. Mm. Unfortunately, we're we're running out of time. I was hoping that I would get a chance to ask you what an unreasonable fellowship is, but we'll have to save that for our next conversation. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Um, we've had as our guest today on Food Forward, Nourishing the World, Kimberly Lee, CEO of Prime Roots. It's been a pleasure having her on. Look forward to having you again. And with that, we'll be back after these messages. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner. 
Writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. Before we move on, I wanted to offer a special thanks to our guests, Amos Golan of Chunk Foods, Oliver Zahn of Climax Foods, and Kimberly Lay of Prime Roots. So let's do our weekly poem about alternative proteins, thanks to our good friend, ChatGPT. In fields of soy and pea they grow, a tale of food we've come to know. Beyond the meat, a quest unfolds for proteins new, and stories told. The legumes dance, the fungi sing, in labs and farms they're harvesting. From algae blooms to cultured yeast, a feast for all, not just the least. Amidst the vats, the science hums, creating steaks without the crumbs. Insects chirp, a crunchy tune, a protein source that's opportune. Hemp and chia join the fray. In shakes and bars, they make their way. Quinoa whispers from the grain. I too can ease the planet's gain. The ocean lends its seaweed green, a protein source that's quite serene. The, a jackfruit laughs. I'm meat's disguise in taco stews and stir-fry fries. So here we stand at Crossroads Fair with choices more than just to bear. Alternative proteins, hear the call, for one day you may feed us all. So next week we're going to tackle the topic of innovators. Who are they and what makes them tick? Also, I'm gonna give you some information on a new book release that I have. You've heard the commercials for my Max Rosen books, which I um, self-published through Amazon. This one's actually coming from a major publisher. As always, the audience is crucial to the future of Food Forward. I want to hear from you. You can email me at alan at foodforwardradio.com and or follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So we are always feeding your curiosity one bite at a time. For Food Forward, this is Alan Weiner. Until we meet again. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Food Forward. We hope we've given you some insights into the wide world of food. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.